Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of our podcast, The Boss Ravioli Queens. We are Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. And we are three very real caregivers who decided we're going to spill all the ravioli on the ins and outs of working in healthcare. This isn't your usual podcast. If you came here for health and beauty tips, you're going to be disappointed because we are going to get messy. Every other week, we will feature a different topic that dives into the not-so-talked-about, taboo, and just plain underbelly of healthcare. We will talk about what it's like being a caregiver outside of work and all the struggles that come with it. Just trying to be normal, everyday people. On that note, let's get messy. Warning, this podcast includes profane language, crude humor, mature subjects, and possible talk of bodily fluids. This may not be suitable for listeners under the age of 18. Episode 1, Caregiving, the Ins, Outs, and Roundabouts. Our first topic today is exploring caregiving, its history, and essentially the fact that, hi, we're here. The pandemic, quote-unquote, put healthcare on the map, but it's always been on the map. It was on the map before, during, and after the panini. Doctors and nurses were reigned as heroes, while caregivers were hardly mentioned. American caregiving is one of the most underpaid, underpraised, and least talked about professions in the healthcare industry. Hang on, Melvin. I'll be right there to wipe that peanut butter out your crack. Just gotta pick up my $11 paycheck real quick. So a little bit about the history of caregiving. Uh, It did officially become a job title in 1977 when the Family Caregiver Alliance, or FCA, was founded. The co-founder, Suzanne Harris, uh, ended up being a caregiver for her husband. Before the FCA was founded, she was quoted saying, During the course of my husband's illness, I found that I needed an awful lot of help. It was all so sudden, the problem so devastating, the legal affairs so overwhelming, that I needed help from every direction. So before the FCA, the role of the caregiver would usually be to take care of family members in their home. And Suzanne changed that, and so did the FCA. Well, I feel like that was a good idea because it gave options for, like, more jobs for caregivers and stuff. But at the same time, there's, like, so many people that, like, don't want to have to leave their homes to get care. Accurate. And I kind of want to, like, find out more about how home health care got started. Right. Mm -hmm. Because caregivers and CNAs and nurses can all do that, too. Right, right. I don't know. I just feel like it's, like, more expensive, though, for everybody, which I don't know why, because, like, they're in their own home. Oh, we should probably give a little tidbit about HIPAA, the Bible of healthcare. So, HIPAA stands for the Health Insurance Account... No, Portability and Accountability (laughs) Act. Good Lord, that's a mouthful. Uh, Basically, it protects all of your health records and information, your name, your date of birth, your medical history number, all that's good information that you have to give when you have an appointment. Um, It protects people from finding out anything about you or your medical history slash health, unless they sign a HIPAA waiver. And you have to give permission for them to do that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, going back to the whole history of caregiving thing, I also think that it's really important that all of that stuff happened because I feel like um, that probably sparked a bunch of like government regulations and everything for our jobs because yeah. without that, like we'd probably still be how it used to be, you know, as far as like when you think of mental health institutions and how they treated their patients, like yeah. 
Absolutely. Sure. And it gives the uh, the education needed for like a lot of people because like so many family members like have no idea what to expect. Right. And honestly, my mom used to be a CNA, and they didn't even require them to wear gloves when they were, like, doing cares on people, wiping their butts, nothing. That's disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. So, and that's actually something I forgot to mention about the FCA, was that they, like, fought for laws and, like, regulations for caregivers. Exactly. Well, and I think another thing, too, that's really important to mention is that um, they probably, if I'm guessing, had something to do with the fact that we need continued education, um, I guess I don't know how it works in all of the states, but I know the state that we're in, we are required to have so many hours of continued ed every single year. I feel like it's pretty much the same anywhere, because I did work in Minnesota for a while, and mm-hmm. it was basically the same there. Yeah. The, the bonus was you could skip through the videos, though, if you already knew. <laughs> Honestly, that is my biggest pet peeve with continuing ed, because you literally know all of these things, and it's like you're a brand new caregiver, and you have to watch all these videos, and you can't skip anything. And then there's, like, these little interactive tests that you have to do, and it's mm-hmm. the most annoying thing I've ever done in my entire life, I'm pretty sure. Literally. Right. Well, if I will say, though, it is important for new caregivers... For sure. But no, once you know what you're doing, it's just annoying. Mm-hmm. So speaking of which, I think we should kind of introduce ourselves a little bit and just talk about like how long we've been doing this, why we do this, why we just started, decided to start the podcast, all that fun stuff. I guess I'll go first. Yeah, sure, sounds good. So I'm Nicole Ravioli. Um, I started caregiving almost nine years ago, and to be honest, I didn't think I was going to come back to it because I did take like a two-year break from it, but overall, it just calls me back because I feel like I'm just meant to take care of people. Like, I like like my residents, I like taking care of people, so it's just something that I feel that I'm meant to do. Also, please ignore the animals in the background. Our goal is to get a, a studio space someday, but right now we are struggling. So, anyways, um, either one of you can tell your caregiver story. Okay, well, I'm Jasmine the Queen. I started caregiving right after high school. I've been doing it for like 10 years now. Um, worked in like lots of different areas, did hospital settings, so kind of have well-rounded knowledge of different types of caregiving in different fields. But um, what really got me into it is I always really loved um, helping people, and it just felt the most rewarding, even though it can be very frustrating at times. Mm -hmm. Feel that. Absolutely. There's honestly not a lot of people who can do it sometimes, honestly. I have friends of mine that come up to me and be just like, I could never do what you do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I get that a lot, too. Absolutely. Do you want to go ahead? Yeah, so I am boss lady Amy. I have been doing caregiving uh, for the last eight years. Um, I, I got into it because I just feel like I feel like it's so important to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves or have trouble advocating for themselves or don't know how to advocate for themselves. Um, And I feel like, I don't know, I'm just a naturally caring person due to the way that I was raised and stuff. Um, 
This feels like a job interview. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. <laughs> and why do you want to work for us? <laughs> I don't know. I like to be able to afford food. <laughs> yeah, paychecks are cool. <laughs> um, so I have been, um, I've been in management now for the last three years, and then I've been in upper management for the last one. So that's been fun, too, because I spend most of my time on call. As we all know, because we've all been in management before. Oh, Indeed. Yeah. All right, yeah. Not, I don't miss it. Not fun. Don't really miss it. Working, I'm still in that boat. Working all the time. No. Literally. Well, you both still work all the time. The only difference is you don't have to answer stupid phone calls. <laughs> yeah, can you tell leave. me where you put the toilet paper? <laughs> Oh my gosh, well, this was on the menu. Pizza's on the menu, but we don't have any pizza, so make them something make else. Make something else. <laughs> <laughs> and literally just make sure that you change it on the menu. Write it wow. down. hard concept. If it's not documented, it didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to explain that. <laughs> we do. So, in caregiving, um, the documentation is everything... And so we have a saying, if it's not documented, it didn't happen. And notice we all did the, well, not notice, but we all did a little head bob because that's how you say it, how it's <laughs> grained into your head. It's like a little song almost. <laughs> I would say that and HIPAA, that's that's just straight up caregiving Jesus. Literally. Bible. Mm-hmm. For sure. <laughs> I mean, if you're sending a person to the hospital and nothing is documented, that's going to come back on you and that's not going to look good. Yeah, you're going to no, get in trouble. It's not. That's it's a lot how you get in trouble with state, too, for sure. If the hospital's like, well, what have you been doing for this? Literally. So I think we should explain state. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, I don't want to talk about it right now. So, Jasmine, you can, you can be first. <laughs> <laughs> So state, um, they kind of like go around and basically investigate like all of the homes. So um, it can be anywhere from like they'll do it randomly throughout the year and just check in to see how the homes are running and if everything's up to date, like safety protocols and if there's any issues with the residents or anything. Um, or sometimes people will call it in and unfortunately, you know, that's kind of unfortunate because family members don't realize like what's been happening or how their loved one might be so they'll just think we're neglecting them when they're we're not actually so then they try to report it and it just goes bad from there (laughs) so that reminds me of something did you guys hear about the lady who cut off the guy's foot yes that nurse yeah. Wasn't so, she from Colorado or something? Yeah, I did not hear about that. <laughs> something so. like that. <clears throat> so, um, we won't say where we're from, but we're from a undisclosed <laughs> Midwestern location, if you haven't <laughs> been able to guess by our <laughs> We our know we accents. have accents. Um, but yeah, so where we are, there's a story of a woman who cut off a man's foot without doctor doctor's orders. She was a nurse. And she just, like, took it upon herself to amputate this, like, frostbitten guy's foot. Because didn't she say that it was, like, going to kill the rest of his leg or something? Something like that. And then the other nurses testified that, like, his foot was actually healing well. 
and then he died from sepsis like six days later. <sighs> oh god, that's a nightmare and a half. It's, yeah, that's a lot so of paperwork. The reason, well, <laughs> <laughs> right? But the reason why I bring it up is because like he was failed by everybody because people had been making complaints about this place, and state didn't come to investigate until like a year or so later. So he was failed by them. He was failed by the other caregivers in the facility that knew that this was happening. He was failed, obviously, by that nurse. I mean, he was failed by the people who didn't report it. Right. Because the article that I read said that they, the administrative staff at the place took an entire week before they actually filed the police report. For real. That's oh ridiculous. Oh my god. There's a whole reason that there's a whole team and and safety protocols and stuff in place. This poor person, I feel like he was completely failed. I feel like he was completely failed by the state for seeing these claims and not investigating. I feel like he was completely failed by the caregivers who were there and could have literally said to the charge nurse, Hey, I think we should call 911. I feel like he was completely failed by the nurse who actually did the amputation. He was completely failed by all the staff there who knew what was going on and didn't report it. He was completely failed by the administrative staff that failed to report it for a week. A week. Yeah, I feel like this poor person, this whole thing could have been completely prevented. And that's the whole reason we even have protocols and such. Also, his care team. I don't. I, I don't know if I missed you mention that, so I'm sorry if I did. But <clears throat> just to go into a little detail about that, every single person that lives in a nursing home, a CBRF, we'll explain the abbreviations later, um, an AFH, like any of those facilities where it's a long-term care. Um, they all have a care team, which consists of a social worker slash case manager mm -hmm. and a nurse. And they are supposed to do check-ins pretty regularly on these people. And if there's a change in condition, um, then, they're, then the staff is supposed to report to them. So if the staff did report to the care team, and obviously like the care team would have gotten word of this when the administration did I would assume unless mm -hmm. the administration was trying to cover it up I don't really know mm -hmm. but then the care team failed as well big time yeah for sure like it's well and also too like oh. um the care teams they're supposed to check in like once a month yeah sometimes they sometimes I feel like they don't though they, I don't know why they don't it's just like they always like want to try to manage everything from a distance which i mean is fine if that works out for certain like cases but like not everybody's case is the same and sometimes they need more visitation exactly i completely agree um yeah no this this could have been completely prevented so i think it's important to note um just going back of what off of nicole is saying about how we would explain those abbreviations so you said CBRF, a CBRF, AFH, mm -hmm. and nursing home slash long-term care facility. Okay, yeah. So um, a CBRF is a community-based residential facility. Um, that basically means that there doesn't have to be like a nurse on staff. Um, that just means that they can be licensed for 
eight residents or more. Yeah, so you want to help me out here? <laughs> so like <laughs> like you was saying, um, CBRF stands for Community Based Residential Facility. Can have up to eight resident or no, not it up to. It can have eight, eight residents or more. or more. So the difference between a CBRF and an AFH is AFH. Well, the abbreviations. It stands for Adult Family Home. And those ones you can only have up to four residents per home. CBRFs also have way more state regulations. Like, they are way more regulated than an AFH is. Actually, I should clarify something. Sorry, my bad. So, anything over four residents is technically considered a CBRF, but it's pretty standard for a CBRF, at least a home, to have eight residents. So, just that clarification. Yes, and then um, nursing home, I think everybody pretty much knows what a nursing home is, but in case you've never had to deal with that because you've been blessed somehow, um, it's basically for um, elderly care, but there are some instances where you'll have like amputees or people with physical disabilities that can't take care of themselves in their home and they don't have family to take care of them either. Right. Usually they end up in like the rehab section yep. of the nursing home and then they, they're like more of like a short stay and they're there until they like recover. Right. So yeah, well with a nursing home, basically it just means that they require skilled nursing, which is, you know, can be anything from like wound care to if they have like a special operation or something that requires follow-up with a nurse. Basically, anything that is outside the scope of practice for um, caregivers. Oh, I guess I probably should have mentioned that since, you know, nursing home, you have to be a CNA, but there are also facilities that are not skilled nursing facilities that you can work in as a caregiver as well, where it's like a nursing home setup, but it's not the same requirements. And those are called... (laughs) (laughs) They suck. They do kind of (laughs) suck. They do. And the reason why they suck is because a lot of shady stuff can go down and people are never going to find out about it because they don't require nurses to be working in the building. But those are called assisted livings. (laughs) Like having a med passer, one med passer for like two different hallways with like, I don't know, 45 residents. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Or not fun. (laughs) I've also worked in those type of facilities and like 20 residents and one med passer and one caregiver, which means the med passer has to stop passing meds and giving insulin and Mm -hmm. doing all the things that med passers do, like taking vital signs. Uh, Do I need to explain vital signs? Which should not be happening. Like, when you're passing meds, you should be focusing on just meds meds. Because otherwise, mistakes happen. People get the wrong medications. It can be... A real shit show. (laughs) And God forbid someone is on a sliding scale insulin. Because if you give the wrong dose of that because you're like hyping hyping yourself up or whatever because you're running around like a chicken with your head Mm -hmm. cut off, like that can kill somebody. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really serious. But these facilities, they just don't take it as seriously. And they're just like, well, organize your time better. Organize your staff better. <laughs> Literally. Like, please tell me again. Send this help. is my fault. <laughs> this is 
where we just breathe into the window and write help. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. We should probably explain all the basics. Um, so, vitals, obviously, is just your standard pulse, respirations, oxygen level, temperature. I think that's it, right? Did you say blood pressure? Oh, yeah, blood pressure, too. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> and, and your weight is also considered a vital yes. sign, but that's it, usually only yes. once a week. It is considered a vital sign, but, like, if someone has a fall, you're going to take those... What did I say? Four of them? Yeah. Five. Yeah. Four or five. Four. I don't remember. I don't know. And then weight is... <laughs> most people, the standard, unless we get something written in... Written in writing. <laughs> unless we get a doctor's order, it's either once a month, but pretty it's it's pretty standard for once a week for consumption monitoring and all that stuff. Consumption monitoring? Oh, God, now I have to explain that. <laughs> this is going to be hard. <laughs> How hard is it? <laughs> can't English today? <coughs> it's okay, girl. I can't English. Never. Never. <laughs> oh, <Kay>. my God. <laughs> Anyways, so consumption monitoring. Um <laughs> It's literally where you watch how much a resident consumes. So if they're a tube-fed person, obviously they're going to consume 100% unless they throw up. Yes. Which does happen, but not often. If they are NPO, which means nothing by mouth, and they're tube-fed, they should not be throwing up. And if they are, that's an immediate 911 call. Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, so basically consumption monitoring and weight monitoring go hand in hand because obviously if someone's gaining or losing weight within a week's time, that's definitely a doctor visit. Yeah, especially if it's too drastic. Yeah. I feel like since we're delving into weight monitoring and stuff, we need to talk about like the clients who have the right to refuse certain things, but we really try to push for it because it's in their best interest. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that we're working against them, which a lot of the time it comes across that way. To them, anyways. Mm, Yes. Oh my goodness. There are so many clients that get so upset when you tell them, I'm so sorry, but you can only have how many drinks per day per your doctor's order. And they're like, fuck the doctor. (laughs) And like, I mean, I get it. Because like, they're in a home and they kind of want what they want, but we're there to like make sure they stay healthy. Like, say if somebody's diabetic and they like to drink soda a lot, like, we have to monitor and, like, limit the amount they they take in because otherwise it could really mess up with, mess their blood sugars up. Or, like, one of my favorite people who was only supposed to have, like, what, two sodas a day, I think Mm -hmm. it was. (laughs) And it was always, oh... Can I have another soda? Well, you're your own guardian, so technically that's your decision, but it would be really good for you not to. But really, it's your decision, so do whatever you want, kind of. Mm. Like, it, there was so many arguments. Mm, so yes. many. Yes. Like, do what you want, but you really shouldn't. But it's your right, so go ahead. But also, I'm telling you to stop. <laughs> and then later on, it would be, I'm sorry that I had that third or fourth soda today. Like, <laughs> you don't need to apologize. You're your own guardian, but like... Do better. <laughs> exactly. Literally. Like, look in the mirror and apologize. 
apologize to yourself. <laughs> That's the only one you're hurting. That Pepsi isn't going to hurt me. I don't give a shit. Also, I feel like before we get into like stories and things that we have, we also should explain that we are very cynical because that's just caregiver humor. Mm-hmm. You have to find humor in things, otherwise you won't be able to hack it in yeah, this job. It's literally physically, emotionally, and very mentally draining. Always. <laughs> you have to have humor in every situation, otherwise this just isn't the job for you. It's just not. And you definitely need to be able to adapt to many different circumstances, many different clientele um, Trauma-informed care yes, is a big sure. one because a lot of these people have past trauma and trigger warning for this, but some mm. of them deal with sexual assaults or something along those lines, and it could have been to a family member or them, but usually it's them, and that's very, very sad. Right. Very sad. But at the same time, you have to find a way to make light of the situation, because, and that sounds awful. It really, really does. Like, saying that out loud sounds really bad, but... It does. But dark <laughs> it does. humor is just, it's the way we get through everything. Yeah. Otherwise, we'd literally lose our minds. We wouldn't be able to do this. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, you have to, like, there's been so many times where I go through, like, four super fucked up situations in a day, and it's like... What? <laughs> Continue. <laughs> continue (laughs) they're mouthing over here it's like something that's like oh my god you go from this to like another thing that shouldn't be happening to another thing that shouldn't be happening and you're just like (laughs) 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 naughty 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 (laughs) and you're just like well this is my life yeah (laughs) that's it (laughs) just gotta learn to laugh about it because what else can you do I just, like, oh, those residents, now it's making me think of things. Okay, I'm going to get off topic for just a second. But, like, residents that you have that are very needy, that go, like, oh, I need to go to the ER because I'm a hypochondriac, but really nothing's wrong with me, but I think something's wrong with me. Or, hey, I want to go to the ER because I need attention. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I, I remember specifically four times in one day this lady went to the ER, and... It was literally nothing. And the fourth time she showed up, the doctors and nurses just gave her some pain meds to dope her up. So they sent her back home and she slept the rest of the night. (laughs) Like, you know, it's bad when the ER docs don't even want to deal with you. (laughs) Okay, but I gotta say, though, ER doctors are terrible. Terrible. They, they are okay. They so can be. They, they can, can be. be. Okay. Sometimes let's they're be honest. Awful. They don't. They're like barely there anyway. Like the nurses do most of the stuff, Literally. and they like hop in and like see you, and then they're like, oh, and then they tell the nurse to like, oh, can you do this, 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 and this? Right. And we're gonna do all of this or whatever. And, and then they come literally in, like, see the, the doctor discharge. for like a minute. <laughs> well, like, yeah, they come in. They're like, hey, we found this on your x-ray, yeah, they but literally you're fine, t- bye. Yeah, they literally tell you the results, and then they send the nurse in to discharge you. <laughs> and how many times have, okay, I'm curious now if this has happened to you guys a lot, how many times does it happen where a nurse will be like, I'm going to suggest to the doctor that we do this med, and, and yeah, and they'll be like, 
Um, well, I can't officially prescribe this because I'm not allowed to prescribe medications, but this is what you need. And so, hang on, let me just talk to the doctor. They come back in. Okay, doctor said it's fine. I'm going to prescribe you this. Like, literally. Literally. I know. Every time. (laughs) Every time. (laughs) Like, that's not how it's supposed to work. I know. (laughs) (laughs) And then, too, you have the opposite side of the coin with the nonverbal people who, you have these hypochondriacs over here who have a freaking hangnail and they need to go to the doctor. Okay, I'm sorry, but speaking of nonverbal, I think it's funny when I take a nonverbal person into the um the doctor for like any type of appointment and the doctor's looking at them and like talking to them and I'm like <laughs> I'm like they're nonverbal they're not really gonna respond to you or whatever and like I'll give them like a lowdown of like what's been going on kind of thing or like what they will respond to but then or whatever they still and then they and then they still them. ignore <laughs> the caregiver <laughs> And they will keep talking to them. They're like, oh, we need to hear it from him. And I'm like, well, good luck with that because he doesn't speak. (laughs) That's a good way to get molly whopped, though. (laughs) Like, good luck with that. Uh, He hasn't spoken in the last 45 years. So if you hear him speak, you're working miracles today. But no, I, just, I think it's so funny how nonverbal people, they can literally have, like, fucking liver disease or something, and we don't find out for, like, three months until we go to the doctor, because they they don't show any signs of pain. They're literally. like, just chill. And then you have these residents who are like, they have a hangnail. I need to go in. <laughs> or, like, a sniffle. Right. I sneezed. Please take me to the emergency room. And Billy Bob Joe over here is like fucking dying and we don't even know. And <laughs> See you guys, dark humor. Exactly. It's funny, but it's not funny. It's, it's but only that's funny what makes if you've it dealt funny. with it. <laughs> so... Uh, we have a couple more topics, I think, that we wanted to cover yet. We sure do. So, let's figure out what those are. So, we're going to get into abuse. Now that we've pretty much told you, um, almost everything, I think. (laughs) At least for the beginners. (laughs) Um, so there are like five different kinds of abuse. Physical emotional slash mental Mm. misappropriation which is like taking a resident's belongings or like even like their snacks that they buy with their own money um chemical restraint and physical restraint well that goes into physical abuse too i guess yeah but that was five i'm pretty sure (laughs) i don't know something it's all the same just don't do it yeah, there's Just a don't, lot. Don't oh, neglect. Yeah, neglect. neglect. Sorry, sorry, sorry. There's a lot of different ways people can be abused. It so they just usually fall into one of like the five categories. Indeed. Basically, just don't do it. That's all. That's all. don't be a dick. <laughs> <laughs> that's not all there is, but kind of that's all there is. Like. Okay, well, I already said what misappropriation was. So, obviously, physical abuse is pretty self-explanatory. Mm-hmm. However, physical restraints also fall into that category unless it's in the client's care plan. Yeah, so it, you have to, like, 
get stuff put in their care plan if you have to use restraints. Um, it's usually a little bit quicker if it's like a hospital setting just because you can get like the orders and stuff from the doctor right away. Um, and it's usually they're only used if the person is going to harm other people or themselves. Mm -hmm. Oh man, have I dealt with that and mm -hmm. no restraints. Not yep. in the care plan, not nothing. Plenty of times. I even have a story of a lady that we had to use some physical and chemical restraints on her because we could not keep her. Uh, we had, like, five people in there trying to, like, get her to calm down and, like, and hold her down so we could, like, use chemical restraints in the hospital, which we got ordered from the doctor. And the nurse went to go put the stuff through her IV or whatever, and she she hauled up and kicked her right in the cooter. <laughs> I also think it's important to note, too, that even though it's total bullshit, things like a seatbelt in a wheelchair, that's technically considered a restraint unless the person cannot buckle it themselves. Bed rails? Bed rails, um, like leg straps for wheelchairs or arm straps. Basically, anything that is considered a restraint is if a resident cannot get out of it themselves. Mm -hmm. And I always, always, always make sure that if it is being used, that it is in the care plan. Yes. You need it to be in the care plan. Always. Say it with me. Care, care plan. plan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, so far we've talked about the things that are Jesus. That is HIPAA, Jesus. documentation, who Jesus, who that, <laughs> and care plan. We should start a we should start a list of the um, oh, what's the, the do's of don'ts of yeah. caregiving. <laughs> HIPAA, oh. documentation, care plan. Y'all, the light bulb went off in my head. Now we need to get into ISPs and BSPs and the difference. And what does that acronym stand for? Information support plan? <laughs> no, individual support plan. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I sound like a newbie myself. Ugh. She doesn't know. <laughs> and then behavior support plan. Yeah. yeah that she one doesn't even familiar. go here. <laughs> On Wednesdays, we wear pink. <laughs> that is so fetch. Okay, Miss Ravioli, please explain what the ISP and BSP are. The individual support plan is literally just telling you about the resident. So what kind of, it can be like something as simple as what kind of food they like, where they're, where they go to the doctor, um, why am I drawing blanks? Um, their family members. Dude, you like... guys put me on the spot. Now I can't think. <laughs> <laughs> their family members. It's literally out. any little information <laughs> that um, would help you care for this person. And then the behavior support plan is also pretty like self-explanatory -explan and straightforward, but um, it's just documentation of any type of like behaviors that they might have. So like say they have like they get physically aggressive or they're triggered by a specific thing or they have um pica yeah where they like to eat items that are not food yeah i once had a resident who ate drywall yeah drywall just peeling it off eating it like chips 
Um, oh, and in the BSP, it will usually tell you what works to redirect their behaviors as well, which basically just means to take them out of their behavior either before it starts or without using a PRN. A PRN means an as-needed medication, which some people actually use as chemical restraints because they just want to keep them doped up so they don't go into behaviors ever. Yeah, which is against their rights because that's basically making them not be able to do what they would normally do, like function normally like they would throughout the day. Yep. Oh, I have stories about that too, but I'm not going to get into that right now. We'll get into that in another episode. We'll get into more stories in more episodes. I also want to note... Hi, back from the bathroom here. <laughs> I also want to note that with... Did you need a wipe? <laughs> I about damn fell out of my chair. <laughs> Nicole was about to have to wipe me up and then you just almost fell. She was about to have to call 911. <laughs> It was a long shift. <laughs> Just make sure you don't move when you fall. That's bad. Remember that. Did you hit your head? Stop I'm going to get you a pillow for your head. <laughs> Let's do some range of motion. Okay. I'm going to have to stop myself here before I have to explain all the things I just said. Range of motion. <clears throat> Rain, yeah. I'll explain range of motion in a minute. But no, I was going to say... And so for a PRN, you cannot give something for a specific behavior. Like if a client asks, hey, can I have my PRN for anxiety? If it says it's for agitation, you can only give that when they are agitated. Yep. And it's poopy because sometimes you really, really want to give it, but you really can't. <laughs> Yeah, PRNs are a whole nother ball game. I like doctors that prescribe PRNs for multiple things because mm, there's yes. PRNs that can be used for multiple things. Right. Like lorazepam, agitation, and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Hand in hand. Yeah. Lorazepam just cures it all. My favorite is when the doctor just says, take for unspecified mood disorder. Like, thank you. Now I can give this for behaviors when they ask. Now I don't need to be like, how are you feeling today? My favorite is when you have a nonverbal client and it asks for their pain level. I don't fucking know. What do you... He's wincing. Because <laughs> then you have to go in the notes and be like... Patient or patient resident, client, consumer, they're called a whole slew of different things. Anyways, resident is nonverbal, was wincing when touched their arm. Like, <laughs> Jesus criminy, people. I've literally had people ask me, okay, what does this face mean when they make this? What does that noise mean? Mm-hmm. 
I don't know. Am I a mind reader? <laughs> he could be hungry. He could have to poop. He could just be bored. He could be in pain. He might need to go take a nap. How am I supposed to know? <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of got to go through the list of things and check. Right. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay, so we covered, we pretty much, oh. Oh, I need to explain range of motion. Yeah, yeah, you do. So range of motion is very simple. It's literally the range in which your body can move. Motion. It can motion. (laughs) So, for example, when someone has a fall and we suspect that they have broken a hip, we are going to do range of motion in their legs. If they cannot... Motion their legs, they might have a broken bone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, like, I feel like. So. Oh, gosh. Why is it so hard to explain? It shouldn't be hard to explain. It's hard they to use explain. use range of motion a lot of times for, like, CP. Okay, but tell me why I was gonna say cystic fibrosis. That's CF, not CP. I don't know. (laughs) It's spelled with a PH now. I'll tell you why it's so hard because we do this shit day in and day out, and it's very hard to explain this. (laughs) Yeah, it's because we've been living and breathing it for the last almost decade. But literally when you trace them Oh, when you train someone, you're literally showing them what to do. So you don't actually have to explain anything, really. You're just like, hey, take their leg and, like, pull it to the side. But make sure you're not, like, ripping their leg off. Right. Well, and also, like, who here has trained an actual, like, non-experienced caregiver in the last, like, month? Me. Really? Yep. I haven't trained anybody that was brand, brand new to the field in so long. Oh, you trained that one one person, I think, didn't you? The blonde. Oh, yeah. It is so hard for me to explain, like, something that this mm-hmm. person does not know at all. Because most of the staff that we have, they've been doing this for a while. Yeah. Yes. But honestly, and we all I don't... love it when a new staff comes in and they're just like, "Oh, I've been doing caregiving for like forever," and they're like, "We're like, oh, thank God." <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I know. I heard, I heard when when this girl first started, she said that she had worked in behavioral, and I was like, "Okay, this is a completely different ball game, like so different." Because behavioral, you literally get paid to get your ass kicked and like keep them alive. <laughs> right, and make sure that they're not harming themselves or other residents. And I mean, as much as I can. And I mean, I'm kind of like playing it down a little bit, I guess, because literally you're the maid. You're like acting you're like a family member to them because half the time they don't have family that comes and visits them anyway, or like they're dead. It's really, really sad. Anyways, you cook for them, you clean for them, you do their laundry, you bathe them, you sometimes wipe their butt if they can't, and you don't want to know what happens if they have pica if you were paying attention earlier. <laughs> and then, like, going from that to strictly like cares. 
where you're literally just like cleaning them up and you're making just their running meals. around all day. Yeah, when you're Passing in an all meds. cares facility, mm-hmm. like you don't get a chance to sit down. Never. I'm a runner. I'm a track star. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> literally, going to behavioral is so different, and that's the thing too is like someone who can have you know been dealing with like dementia patients or like full cares people forever and ever and ever, and they come into behavioral. It's like she said, it's a whole different ball game. Like, oh, you thought, honey, you thought. <laughs> you thought you knew what you were doing. It's just a different struggle with the same field. <laughs> exactly. Um, I'm going to warn everybody. We've got like a minute and a half left. So, okay. closing thoughts, everybody. I think we can probably start rounding this one up or whatever and... There's a lot more to discuss in more future episodes. We have so much planned for y'all. So if you guys enjoyed this episode of our podcast, there's plenty more coming. This is just number one. Um, Also, I'm not sure what we're going to be streaming this on yet, but if you can leave comments on whatever it is, let us know what you'd like to see. We're also going to link some social media accounts. So we're going to have a TikTok, a Twitter, a YouTube eventually... Snapchat? No, we decided will, against Snapchat. It will be linked down below. <laughs> Check the description box below. <laughs> Alright, thanks for listening, guys. We will see you next time. Until then. Go wash your ass. This has been the Boss Ravioli Queens podcast with your hosts, Boss Lady Amy, Nicole Ravioli, and Jasmine the Queen. Thank you so much for spilling your ravioli with us. Don't worry, we'll serve you more next time.